Hi, my name is Reggie Williams, and I'm one of the executive directors of Black Film Space. Black Film Space is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the careers of black filmmakers. We host workshops, panels, and other community building events that are designed to support black content creators. We also have a membership program that offers discounts to filmmaking resources, free events, a filmmaking database, grants, a mentorship program, and much more. In the next episode of the Black Film Space podcast, we talk with Silas Miami, a screenwriter based in Kenya. Silas wrote the film Supermoto, which had its world premiere at the 68th Berlin International Film Festival and was selected as a Kenyan entry for Best Foreign Language Film at the 91st Academy Awards. We talk with Silas about Kenyan cinema, Afro-Bubblegum cinema, and much more. This episode was executive produced by Reggie Williams and Sino Gibson and edited by Elon Piton. And now, on to our interview. All right, Silas, welcome to the Black Film Space podcast. How are you today? I am doing all right. Yeah, I'm doing well. Awesome. That's great to hear. So um want to talk to you about screenwriting and the filmmaking scene in Kenya. Uh-huh. But first, I, I'd love to know what movie inspired you to pursue a career in filmmaking? Uh, good question this is going to be an odd i'm going to give you an odd answer i think the film that inspired me to start looking at films as something that could potentially be an option was osufia in london like an old nollywood film kind of like the og ones it was odd uh, but i just fell in love with it i remember watching it in my mom's um because we had two televisions. There was a black and white that was downstairs, and then my mom had a JVC TV in her bedroom that <laughs> she wouldn't allow anyone else to to watch anything on. Mm-hmm. But I would sneak in in the afternoon and watch um, Nollywood films, and that kind of stuck with me. Yeah, but I, I didn't think much of it, and I didn't think much about film after that until I was in uh, in university and undergrad so what what was it about that film that inspired you it was a performance to be quite honest for, for a long for a long time i thought i was going to be a, a singer or an actor just some kind of performing and they managed to capture the the protagonist's expression of shock when he got to the one of the bridges in london quite beautifully and i remember thinking yeah i want to do that mm. gotcha I haven't actually been asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we do at Black Film Space. Yeah, I've had to think. Yes, we, we ask questions that you've never been asked before. <laughs> so you wrote the film Supermoto. Yeah, I co-wrote it with uh, you co-wrote it. a few other people. But yeah, yeah, it was a, it was a good time. <laughs> yeah, Supermoto, man. How many people are, are credited for writing it? Uh Four people are credited for writing it. How that film came about was, uh, it's unlike anything that I've ever worked on. We we were initially brought together to pitch our own project. So there's this call for a workshop type um, brain room is what they called it. It's like a bunch of writers could submit their proposals and we got picked and we landed up ended up in a room and we just heard each other's pitches. I, I don't I don't even remember what I pitched, but it wasn't very good. And then I heard the creator of and the director of Supermodel, Likarian, uh, he pitched he, his concept and he wanted to do something with a, a kid who turned into a superhero. It was ambiguous, but interesting enough. And uh, I helped him structure a bit of it in the workshop, but you know, I, don't necessarily love kids so i was like deuces you guys good luck <laughs> do your best gotcha and then a few a few weeks later i got an email from the producers asking me if i'd be interested in joining a writing team so it was four of us it was myself mugambi and digger one jerry and kamau and we just for five it felt like five months i'm a bit time blind 
for a couple of months, we kind of just powered through writing this script, uh, writing this story um, that had just generated from this this idea of a kid being a superhero. Mm. Yeah, that's such a dope concept, and we'll we'll get into it later. But I'm really curious because I, I haven't co-written anything before, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm just curious to like exactly what that process is like you know is it like one of you at the computer do you have an assistant at the computer typing like how does it flow with you know the dialogue um how do you make a final decision about what's gonna be in in the final draft of the script and you know how many drafts did you all do before you said okay this is it this is what we're shooting yeah, um, really dope questions. Uh, you know, the, the the process of filmmaking naturally lends itself to it being really collaborative. But yeah, writing it was... <laughs> Dude, it, it felt like we were all kind of thrown into a mix and we had to figure out how to, to get the story out. It was a, the first time I had ever co-written anything. Um, and I was in... I think yeah, I wasn't. In, in, I was in film school. I was in my last year of undergrad, um, and it was brutal because I was studying in Cape Town, and most of the writing was happening in in Nairobi. So there were times when I'd literally like leave class and get on a plane and go to Kenya uh, for like a, a writing week or like a weekend, and then get on a flight, come back as soon as I'm out of the Uber, it's changed clothes back to class and like work to work on my own projects for my, for school. So it, it was a lot though, you know, we spent a lot of time on um, Skype, like hours and hours and hours where we'd flesh out the whole story. Um, and I think it helped that I was in film school at the time because it, you know, the tools that you kind of need to structure story were pretty fresh for me at the time. So it was easy to kind of help um, create some kind of order uh, we split up the work according to like acts so to speak it, it wasn't very overt and we all kind of knew that at some point it would have to the story would have to come together somehow and you know uh, Mugambi who was who was sort of heading the compilation of the story at the time was pretty dope um, about kind of helping us all sound the same mm-hmm. uh, so it was a lot of work it was a lot of work. And then I ended up being the script supervisor on set mm. and doing a, lo- a majority of the translation because mo- almost the entire script was written in English. Um, <laughs> and so, <laughs> uh, and, you know, this is what happens when you kind of make films in, well, I don't want to say that, like, it can change. But at the time, we were running on a non-existent budget on a schedule that was ridiculous. And we just had to churn out a lot of work in a really short, small amount of time. Because the how the project came about, it's difficult to describe uh, to anyone who doesn't understand the NGO system in, in, uh, in Africa and how like folks can decide, hey, I want to come save the continent in some capacity so i'll i'll help them in some way and so there's this organization that i've been doing this for a few years and it has some really really good good um films but the the whole thing was they were pitching themselves as a training organization uh so they'd bring in german mentors quote unquote come help with each department so every every any of the traditional departments we understand in film had a, a German mentor teaching us how to make film. <laughs> I'm going to be frank. It doesn't sound like you're cool with that. Uh, you know, I, there, was a, there was a period where I was... Uh, hindsight gives you some understanding of, you know, how certain experience might have affected you and, and, and you try and understand, like the space you were in when you were making certain decisions and or you were in certain environments. So now, yeah, I can comfortably say that it, it, it wasn't the best experience, regardless of you know how beautiful the project ended up looking. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but yeah, I definitely think we do a lot. We do need to reconsider the relationship that the creative economy in Africa has with charity. Mm. Uh, there's just yeah, there's just way too much. It's too much room for uh, I don't know. It's a tricky situation. You know, we can't we can we can't step away from the fact that amazing stuff has been made through programs such as these. Um, but it was hard if, if we look back at it and if we're completely realistic about it, it was hard. And I'm sure a lot of filmmakers will say that, you know, even making films a traditional way is hard, but yeah, it was uniquely different. It was unique. Gotcha. But, you know, everyone had good intentions. So there's that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we can, we can go into that later if you're, if you're cool but with that, but, um, I'm fascinated because you said you were you were writing a script, but there was no set budget. It, technically, there was a set budget because the um, the organization, the production company that was hired to work with the, uh, I guess they're also a production company. I don't know. They had some some funding from the German government, the German government, um, and it was, you know, it was quite substantial in Kenyan figures, but a film is a film and a film is expensive, but there was money. And, you know, to their credit, a lot of it did go into, into the, into the production, but the, the idea of the project still ran as this learning expedition. So Mm. you would be doing regular filmmaking hours and our compensation was a handshake because technically we were learning. Got you. Got you. Got you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I understand. I'm trying to figure out who, who made the final decision. Like, okay, the script is complete. It wasn't us, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> our, our, the, the script writing mentors uh, was was finally satisfied with a version of the script that we got to. Look, you know, it, now that we, we we talk about that experience, and again, it, it's the first time I'm kind of even like thinking about that period. So you're learning stuff, and I'm learning stuff at the same time. You are, because I haven't done any introspection whatsoever <laughs> regarding that time. But um, the ridiculousness of a, a lot of the the stage that had been set aside, we put in some amazing work into like getting the script to where it was. And I must say, even though it was frustrating at times, it was those conversations that we have over and over again, trying to figure out the kernel of the story and the kind of themes you wanted to explore and what each scene sort of meant in the in the greater context of representing a lived experience that could be recognized by most Kenyans, or at least many Kenyans, we ended up with a really like really strong story. Uh, but yeah, we didn't have final say about whether the story would be greenlit or not. In fact, there were moments when <laughs> we were threatened <laughs> with the, the story not being made because it, it didn't suit a certain expectation in in many ways. And you know. Mm. In, I don't know, but we got there in the end. We got there. We got a story everyone was happy with, a script everyone was kind of really, really happy with. Especially the director who'd made a very deliberate and I think wise decision to step slightly uh, back from the the actual writing process, um, and he ended up just fo- focusing his energy primarily in like pre-production because it it kind of overlapped and some interesting way so there's a there's a i can't speak to what that model looks like um or 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 the model that like the producers kind of used to secure the funding and get all these creatives in in the same room and and make this project happen but um we did it in a really short amount like like tiny period so everything Mm -hmm. felt like it was intense at all times so there probably wasn't much, much room for procrastination. I imagine. Yeah, zero room for procrastination because people had been secured. Tickets had been booked for our wonderful mentors to come down and help um, Africans make films. <laughs> uh, um, no, we had to. Keep, 
but we had to keep moving. We had to keep moving, and we did. Uh, you know, man, that 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 write, writing team really, man, we got it together, man. Mm. I I remember literally nine hours Skype sessions almost every day, and then we'd break and go write our sections and try and piece it together. And you know, it wasn't hard to figure out like how what the tone was because we were all kind of we understood where the story was. We were all our characters were people we knew. Um, so to speak, like we, we, we knew the world and that made it easy to find a tone and a balance that was, I don't know, that was flu that helped with the fluidity. It worked. Congruent. It worked. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Did the script turn out exactly or did the film turn out exactly like the script was written? A lot of it did. A lot of the script ended up in the film. But what I will say is the film turned out exactly like what the director wanted it to turn out as, and which was a, a win for us. It helped that, like, um, I, keep, I keep taking pauses because I'm thinking back at, like, how much work we were actually doing while we were shooting. Because I, uh, you know, Mugambi, who was one of the other writers, ended up being the... Um, the the child actor because we had a child as our lead he ended up being the child actor acting coach and then i ended up um having sort of the responsibility of making sure that the script actually worked and doing a lot of the translation um and some of it was done on the spot some of it was done the night the night before we had to shoot wow. it was intense but uh a lot of a lot of what was in the script ended up being shot and i'm very proud of Likarion, the director, for making sure that happened, because hmm. he was he was a rebel on set, man. Nice. How long did it take to shoot? We uh, we I think we did it in twenty two days. We shot it in twenty two days, and we had a few breaks in between. Uh, by break, I mean a day off over the weekend, <laughs> and we shot it all in like one area, which is just slight. Uh, uh, outside Nairobi, about an hour outside Nairobi, and so the whole crew and cast had to stay in a Christian hostel, which is just so much, um, <laughs> in one of the coldest parts of Kenya. <laughs> and it was uh, it was brutal. It was brutal, but it was it was fun, I guess. Mm. Yes, it was. No, it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds yeah, it sounds like an an adventurous experience. Um, what barriers did you encounter along the way of completing this film? What barriers can you think of? All of them. Uh, I, I, I often tell people making films in Africa is, a, is an act of God. Wow. Uh, it's just so much. So much. It was almost never ending. Uh, it was a lot. I wouldn't even know where to start. You know, we had to work with we had this overly ambitious story. The budget just couldn't stretch far enough to cover some of the things. You know, there were instances where we like had to churn out some of our own money to get, kind of make some stuff happen. Uh, we had a, a wonderful cast, but a lot of the action also required the um, uh, participation of extras who we managed to get from the village that we were shooting which was tricky we had kids on set uh, our lead actor was a child and you know Whitney was right children of the future but my god uh, it'll take it'll be a while before I work on another set with kids uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was a lot it was it was a lot anything that you think could go wrong went wrong but we also kind of managed to uh, to make it work. So, I mean, you, I, I haven't seen the film, but I've seen the trailer and it, and it looks like an amazing film. So it's, it's interesting that you've, you know, brought up some of the chat or, you know, I've asked you about the challenges and, um, it, it didn't seem like it was an easy feat, but the, the trailer and the final product I'm sure is amazing. I think a lot of people who worked on the, on the, on the film are very forgiving of the experience because of how well the film turned out um, unexpectedly so I'm going to say because while we were shooting it everything was just coming at us so quickly and we had to respond and react which I'm okay with I'm, I'm good at doing that but 
it, it doesn't give you kind of the room to have perspective on what the experience is, is or what you're coming out of the experience with until you see the film on 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 the screen and it's like oh, okay so it was worth it yeah so this is one of those projects that you know it was it was my first feature film and it, it'll go down as like one of my favorite projects <laughs> simply because of how it turned out the experience itself uh, yeah um, let's let's put it this way. I've kind of committed to to ensuring that anyone who anyone who ever works on my set uh, never ever has to go through that again. Mm. So I guess we can pop it up to a learning experience. But yeah, no, Africans deserve to work in spaces where they feel valued. So no. <laughs> Got you. Mm. That's that's absolutely reasonable. Yeah. And um, so you talked about the tone. Mm-hmm. People listening to this podcast probably haven't heard of this film or seen mm-hmm. this film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us more about what you want people to feel watching this movie? Um, you know, what this film is about. Uh-huh. Um, the film follows a, a young girl, Joe, who's nine or 12. My God, I really haven't... Uh over my log line and synopsis in a while um who the young 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 girl has terminal a terminal illness and his her only desire is to become a superhero uh, like the comics that she grew up watching and and reading and and falling in love with and so the community sort of comes together to make that dream happen and and ex- uh, inexplicable things happen around that, but I think ultimately, I, my hope is that the audience leaves with a sense of um, first they're gonna cry. They're just gonna cry. It's just it's just out there. You're gonna cry. I warn you, it's gonna happen. Every single person who says they're not gonna cry cries. You're gonna cry. It's okay. okay. Uh, we made it so you could cry. Uh, but I want them to leave feeling hopeful, feeling hopeful, hopeful for like a community that can come together to make something happen because it's right and not just because not because they understand it necessarily but because they want a, a beacon of theirs to see their value um mm-hmm. so it's a it's a really heartwarming film and the kids love it they just love it mm. it's a wholesome movie right super wholesome <sighs> Again, with a, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have some moments of pauses here because I'm, I'm also like <laughs> thinking back to my own experience watching it in theater and um, putting aside the, the journey of even getting it to the screen and just watching it as uh, objectively as I, you know, as one possibly could from writing it, and I, it was just so full of joy and love. And laughter. It's so funny. Kids are so funny. <laughs> Man. They're hilarious. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's what I, I hope they come out come out of the, the theater with. Or well, in this case, their living rooms. Because no one is in theaters now. <laughs> their bathrooms, they're watching it on their phone. You know what I mean? Like wailing the into their shower. Trailers. I think that's the best way to watch it, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Get like one of those pro- protector things for your phone mm-hmm, you can mm-hmm. watch it while you're in the shower uh all right, veer, veering off here um so i'm gonna try to pronounce uh this name here wanuri karhuyi yay wanuri she directed Rafiki. Yep. she did and yes she introduced the concept of afro bubblegum she did in regards to african films can you explain to us what Afro bubblegum is? Well, no, he's probably going to stab me because I'm going to butcher this. But uh, I think to to be horrifically reductive, she just wants content coming out of Africa that represents joy, primarily, just joy, African joy. And I think I think that's that's what um, again to be crudely reductive, you know. Uh, and not in response to anything, not in response to necessarily the fact that a lot of the stories that have 
lot of the films that have been made about Africa have been about, you know, the trauma and the pain, which is valid and it's here, you know, but there's also a flip side to our lived experience that includes celebration and hope and joy. And I think that, I feel like that's what she felt was missing in a lot of the work that was coming out. And she, she moved to try and get that, that idea of something joyous committed to film. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so it sounds beautiful. I, I don't have a, like a vast understanding of African cinema, mm-hmm. but I do feel like that, that same sort of concept can be a, applied uh, here mm-hmm. in the States. Mm-hmm. You know, it seems like a lot of um, films with black characters tend to be, you know, uh, historical pieces around slavery or, you know, Jim Crow era mm-hmm. biographies. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's the, it's the sort of purveying narrative. And, you know, from a, from my financial perspective, because I, I've operated between two industries over the past like decade, the industry in Kenya and in Nairobi, which sometimes I feel like I'm off best in, even though a lot of my output has come from there. And then where I studied in South Africa, and I did a lot of my uh, academic research, especially for my master's around uh, queer representation on film and television. Um, and that kind of forces you to have to look at African film as a whole. Um, and a lot of the output is definitely trauma-based. Mm-hmm. It's easy to sell. It's easy to finance, um, just from a production standpoint. And you know, Africa is definitely. And again, I don't wanna. I don't wanna be too general here because Africa is sort of monolith. But for as long as we're still battling colonialism uh, together, then. Mm-hmm. You know, we can still use those same references. Um, it, it's easier to get uh, trauma porn made. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I, I, again, I don't want to be too reductive because I do think that those stories are important, but I think what, like, start the, the things when Nuri is trying to do, it's not all there is. Um, it matters what people are able to see. And I know there are limits to representation politics, and I feel like a lot of the world is sort of getting to the ceiling of representation um, at the moment because there's only so much seeing yourself can do. At some point, we also have to look at what that representation stands for. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know, putting that into context, I don't know. It's just it's it's harder to get joyous films made, and you know, we can theorize about why. We can talk about the cinema culture in Africa not necessarily being as developed. Nah, I'm not really interested in that narrative, but it is one. Uh, we can talk about, you know, uh, I don't know. It, it's, a, it's a lot. The scope of it is wide, but you're right. It is, it is easier to get access to pain, Black pain, than it is to get access to Black joy. Yeah. So... I actually would like to talk about um, you said the uh, c- cinema culture in Africa isn't as developed. What what you mean by that? I guess in the very literal sense of people going to watch African, specifically African films in theater. But mm, like, if we're to if we're if we're talking about decolonizing everything, <laughs> we have to also look at how we view filmmaking and you know there's an there's a conversation to be had about like especially in kenya and you know i've also been uh, responsible for holding this conversation in this format but like the idea that kenyans love to go watch film but they love they only watch um western films they love their avengers and whatnot and and i think that that's true to a certain extent but also like you know we're consuming media from not just Africa, we're consuming media from the entire world. And Mm -hmm. that naturally uh, uh, forces us to kind of have to compare with, well, it doesn't force us, but we do end up naturally comparing and you're going to want to consume the the media that's has a high production value or the one that doesn't necessarily patronize you or just make you feel like you're only going to watch pain. 
So there's a there's a bit of distrust that has definitely developed between audiences and filmmakers in Kenya, but we're bridging that gap slowly by telling them, look, we know that previously like the the quality of the work wasn't as great and the content of, of the but we have to grow from somewhere and we're asking you to trust us with your stories uh, if you come watch the stuff so like there's that there's that definitely that ongoing conversation happening but mm. it'll be it'll sound odd but i have to throw it back to the education system as well in the sense that it doesn't celebrate um the creative art form like whatsoever like there's no there are no film classes in, in high school, at least in like traditional, typical high schools in Kenya or typical schools in Kenya. There's no film education. There's no. So I, I don't expect a generation of people who've been raised to only respect STEM to now, um, you know, develop a, a sudden and powerful love for film that uh, that's made here. We, we There's a lot of work. There's a lot of ground that we have to cover. Um, and it's fair that it's taking its time to get there. So the culture is being developed because now people recognize that, oh, I can I can have my story up there mm-hmm. and it can be truthful and I can um, resonate with it, with it. And I think that's what's exciting about making film here right now. Got you. Yeah, there's, there's a lot there. Um, <laughs> there's a lot there. Yeah. And there's a lot that I don't, I don't know about, but I just have questions and kind of comparisons to you know i guess my perspective in the states when it comes to black filmmakers because historically you know i feel like black people didn't have access to cameras you know back in like Mm -hmm. you know before dslrs like if unless you had money you didn't have access to cameras and like a lot of the bigger name directors um they had cameras when they were like 13 they had you know super eight millimeter camera mm-hmm. or whatever. and they started making films when they were teenagers so by the time they were 30 they were already like a master filmmaker and it's all it's it's always it feels like historically you know black filmmaker like filmmaking requires money it's a it's a very yeah. expensive um, endeavor it just is um, yeah. you know just the inaccessibility of the infrastructure required to make film um can get very frustrating uh because you, you i completely understand what you what, what you mean by like having you know it's the ones who were using cameras at a certain age or in in certain environments uh that have certain social economic um uh similarities that you know end up being quote-unquote filmmakers so to speak and i think a lot of that is also true in 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 Africa in some regards because you do need I mean I I have this theory that if cameras were accessible not just the like you're saying not just the DSLR like like you know proper cameras are, were accessible um, in somewhere like Nairobi at like a a decent rate then we'd be having a different conversation this isn't to say like that the, the, there isn't like a, a thriving um, I don't want to call it underground, but like a thriving, I wouldn't even call it informal, the thriving industry where like no one is necessarily following the quote unquote tenets of what filmmaking is about, you know, mm-hmm. no one is treating it as this high art form. It's just entertainment and it's it thrives. It's called Kenwood, you know, you you put two actors in a room and tell them the the general idea of what they're doing in that scene. You say action. You put a camera in front of them. Whatever comes out of their mouth, print cut, next, and it's entertaining enough. And and I think there's something in there. Not to go into like the academic aspects of it, but one of the things that I was exploring as I I want to kind of move towards decolonizing how we film in Africa is. Uh, the idea of the griot, the narrator, right? Uh, how did Africans pre-colonially pass information? It was through storytelling. So we have the capacity for entertainment and we entertain ourselves and we've been entertaining ourselves. We're just, I, I, I always argue that it's a medium that's catching up to African storytelling, not the other way around. Like it's, 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 the, it's motion picture that needs to catch up to like how we communicate and how we share stories, not the other way around. So that's definitely like how I view, because um, I, I don't want to always like frame it as this 
if we had money, then we'd be able to make films, which which is true. If we had money, we'd be able to make films. But like the core tenet of why we make films, why do we make films? It's not just so we can have this thing that only a few people can access. It's a it's a storytelling medium. It's a way that we can uh, hold up a mirror to society and tell them, hey, look at yourselves. This is what you're doing. You know, it's a form of observation. It's a form of witnessing. And so there are all these aspects of why film is important and, and why it's valid. And those aspects are still reflected in African culture. So it's like, how do we, you know, bridge that gap? And yeah, money, money is it. Money is it. Money is the name. But like you said, it's also about cultural values. You know, mm-hmm. it seems like in, a, in America, there's so many people pursuing the arts and that's like normal. Yeah. Um, and that has a cost to it. It has a cost because a lot of people that are pursuing this mm-hmm. aren't going to make a living from it. Yep. Um, <laughs> and I get, you know, I'm fortunate enough that, you know, my, my mother, you know, I have a Caribbean background. Mm-hmm. My mother's from Haiti. Mm-hmm. She, she wanted me to uh, pursue something, quote unquote, more practical. Uh-huh. Um, but I was like, I don't want to do it. And it wasn't a big deal. But I do know a lot of, um, you know, second generation Africans that their parents did not want them to pursue filmmaking, you know, and it, it makes sense. Like it make like it, they're not even wrong. You know what I mean? Like their parents aren't wrong. Like it, this shit is hard. Like most people aren't simply aren't going to make a living the way they think they can. And, and that's not to discourage anybody. That's just, just, uh, just a fact in regards to people being like A-list directors in regards to A-list directors. Like I do think people can make a living, but you know, kind of that, those big ambitious dreams. It's just only so many people can, will actually break through at that level. And um, I, I don't know too much about cultural values of, of in Africa, but it, but it, like you said, it doesn't, uh, it's, it doesn't seem like y- your parents are going to want you to pursue something like this. Yeah, no, fully. I mean, my, my, my situation is, is a, is a bit unique and I'll tell you why in a second, but like, uh, just to add on to, to that, you're, you're right. Like the, you know, I try and look at like the decisions folks, you know, of color, regardless of like what, which space they, I feel like we all have the same parent. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we have to do something practical. Uh, you have to be able to earn a living. Um, and because all they saw from like, th- th- there was nothing, there was no evidence to suggest that anyone who followed a path like like we did would would be able to like feed their family. Like it was difficult. It was a difficult path. It's a difficult path. It still is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that that sort of looking at it that way, it 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 makes it makes perfect sense. But then you have, you know, the crazy ones who understand that it's it's more than just um the practical aspects of it for us there's there's definitely a bit of a calling situation happening there um you know that i actually dig dig even deeper and link to like my ancestral heritage and and the kind of gifts that i think i was given um i was kind of baked into my dna so to speak as my you know because black people did we don't we don't get inheritances we just get we, we inherit generational trauma but i feel like part of the thing that I inherited as well is like the capacity to tell stories. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it was just a no brainer that I would end up in, in some way, in some form or some medium telling stories. And that can be really tough for parents who don't understand that. So I, I absolutely get it. But my, my unique situation is that, so I'm queer and it was difficult existing in, in, in a space uh, in my mother's house because she had big dreams for me as I have ADHD as well. So I was like one of those kids who had potential, but for some reason was struggling to meet it. Turns out I just had a neurological disability the entire time. Uh, <laughs> and then I, I, so I left home quite early because uh, I was kicked out because I was gay. So I had to figure out my own way quite quickly. Um, and through that journey, I ended up finding film unexpectedly and mm and started building my relationship with film in that in that regard but i can only imagine like people who have stronger relationships with their parents at this time um 
or at, at certain stages in their life, it can be difficult to tell them, hey, I want to drop out of this really practical path to follow this thing that for sure <laughs> might leave me hungry. Um, mm. But I guess that's our job in some regard, like this generation of filmmakers, to make sure that we create enough of a stable base that someone can say that they want to become a filmmaker in a couple of years and it's not as unrealistic as it felt back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, for people to go out and support those films. Yeah, I, I, I want people to go and support the films, but I want them to only go and support the films if they see themselves in the film. Even if they don't see themselves in the film, if they see um, a film that is that has fidelity to some kind of yeah. truth that they recognize, go watch it. Yeah. How, I mean, how do you feel about African stories now versus 10 years ago? Oh, man, like production value, first of all, we, we, we're beginning to get some of the coin. Uh, and, you know, any anytime you bring in the conversation of money uh, and whatever capitalistic interest we have in film, it always boils down to how many bums can you get on your on a seat to come watch your, your thing? How much money can you make from it? So me seeing a lot more content being made on a continent that is exciting and fresh and new means that we're now understanding that there is a group of people who are, are realizing that they also have a place in this medium and that they deserve to be seen. And now we're doing the work to make sure that they, they are seen. If I make a film about an African story right now, I'm going to have conversations with production about its international appeal. Like that is a given, like that is the, that's the next conversation that you have with your producers because it requires a, a ton of money to get these things made. And the only reason it becomes financially viable is either through charity or if there is an international market for it. But with like newer, better, more truthful stories coming out of Africa now compared to 10 years ago, there's a shift in like where the focus is. The, the target market is no longer like the film festival circuit. And it, I guess it is in some ways, but like for me, it's not that. It's, am I telling a story that uh, someone I grew up with would want to pay money to come watch? Mm -hmm. So that becomes the focus. At least for me, that becomes a shift. I want to make extremely culturally specific stories because that's how we get that like financial leg bums on seats because people are coming to see themselves. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to call people to come see themselves if I've made a film that has that skews to a target market that's not them. Mm -hmm. So it's this weird balance right now where we're fine. It's 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 an odd balance. It's hard to put like a name to it, but it's a it's a weird dance where yes, people Africans are spending at least Kenyans are are interested in consuming Kenyan stories in a really beautiful way that I, I think 10 years ago would not have been the case. Prior to the pandemic, were Kenyans going to the movie theaters? Yes. Kenyans sell out movie theaters, man. But like, to their credit, like it's not like there were a bunch of Kenyan films to go watch because making films in Kenya is still difficult. At least making films, the kind of films that Again, you know, I, I can't speak for everyone, but the kind of films that I, I would like to make or that I have made require just so much money <laughs> that's just not there. <laughs> the initial capital, like there's no infrastructure that is remotely accessible. So, you know, sometimes you'll find like Kenya only churns out like two or three films that I would regard as really good. And again, I'm just, I have my own opinions of what constitutes good films. I'm, I'm not the metric, but films that I would regard as being pretty good when you turn one or two out a year, which is not ideal, but uh, it was better than like, again, 10, 20 years ago. So yeah, it's growing, it's slow, but but they'll show up for like a big international release, which tells me that there's a, is interest in sitting down and watching a film and paying for the experience of watching a film. Um, so we just need to meet that demand. But in order to meet that demand, <laughs> we need the money. <laughs> Are you seeing how this is like a cyclical? Yeah. Yeah, it's a <laughs> so to get the money, we need to get the audiences in, but we can't get the audiences in because we couldn't get the money to get the, the film made. 
it's a it's a weird dance that we're doing at the moment but i think the takeaway for me right now is understanding that yes there is an audience there is a paying audience that because of the exposure to extremely high production have a higher standard and expect more for the money that they're paying mm-hmm. and of course we're harder on ourselves so like if i come and watch a story about queerness i'm going to rip it to shreds if it's not authentic <laughs> so if if someone is coming to watch a story about a kenyan experience it has to be authentic yeah and yeah so it's it's a weird balance that we're currently trying to do but there is hope so the the one or two movies you know are good that are coming out of kenya are they all from, you know, like the money from NGOs or is it by by your standards, any sort of thriving studio or production company system in Kenya that are by Kenyans, by black mm. people? Mm. Very good question. I will get crucified for answering this question, but I'm going to try anyway. I, I haven't, I haven't been exposed to a company that a production company or like a there are one or two production companies whose focus is primarily on like producing Kenyan stuff but even you know they're still in that rut of needing to find the money a lot of them are either producing television content which is a lot easier and cheaper to make or commercials which where where the money is so you'll find like someone like I know like a, a director like Tosh Kitonga does this a lot where he spends you know he goes and collects his money in in commercials and then pours that money back into a project, yeah, to to make it happen. But again, there's a there's the there's the other side of Kenyan filmmaking that doesn't necessarily again adhere to these standards that we have for what quote unquote constitutes good filmmaking. And they're churning out films just fine, but the films that like I would want to go watch and or at least I grew up watching or grew up being exposed to that kind of quality, that kind of high budget, even if it's a low budget, like just good production, good production um, value, they're harder to get made. And I don't think there's an industry that sustains it as of now, Um, but it's coming. There's definitely like room for that to grow. So not too worried about that. Yeah, it's it's definitely coming. It's going to be a slow, painful, gruesome process, but we're going to get there. Yeah, it it just sounds like there's so much potential in africa to you know uh grow an audience to to start production companies and to create some sort of business model created by black people for black people like it sounds like it's just waiting for it to thrive. there it's literally there it does require a bit of a you know it, it requires that initial investment that isn't attached to that that with no street the thing is as soon as you try and and a lot of people have recognized that there's this gap in africa for sure um but a lot of them definitely have strings attached in really dangerous and harmful ways uh so you end like you might even end up with a really good product like some of the stuff that i've worked on but the experience is just so soul destroying that we lose really good talent or um, there's no sort of marketing plan afterwards where it just, there's a there are dead ends and there, there are definitely glass ceilings. I do think if we had the infrastructure without any strings attached, if we had that infrastructure, man, <laughs> it could pop. It could really, really pop because mm-hmm. we have audiences ready to hear their stories. We have really amazing, well-trained filmmakers who end up having to go elsewhere to kind of explore um, ways in which they could kind of expand a little. There's room. I mean, I, I studied in Cape Town where like a ton of films come together, you know, the, the space has been sort of converted into a shooting lot where, where massive films come and replicate um, places in the world to come and shoot their stuff there. So. We have all we have the capacity, we have the expertise. It's just that that issue of you know bridging that gap that's mm. a money problem. It's coming for sure. It's definitely it's yeah. definitely coming mm. in the coming years and decades, I believe. Now there's been a number of African films that were produced and developed by non-African filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of the time they would have non-African A-list mm-hmm. actors learning the accents such as um don Cheadle and hotel mm-hmm. rwanda 
what what is your take what is your take on this uh, uh it's it's tricky because i definitely understand the uh, the production element of it and the money element of it and you know if you have a name attached to it it's easier to finance the project it's easy to get the project publicized it's easier to have get eyes on the project um i understand the thought process behind it i just wish people would go to the extent of wanting to have conversations about what what it means to have to have other people tell your stories particularly when you haven't when you're not yet at the place where you can comfortably say we have an industry that is up and running and uh, self-sustainable so uh, you know it's a i i see both sides i personally i i'm i'm of the mind that i would like um some level of authenticity and it matters i'm sorry but it does matter it matters to have the people who've experienced it tell the story and even though the story is still being told and it's told in a way that will make white people cry in in theaters uh it makes me feel like it wasn't made for us and in many ways it wasn't but hey anyway we can move the needle i guess you know i think we're, we're so used to taking scraps and being told that we need to be grateful that we even get the little bit that we get that it gets frustrating to even imagine a space where like the industry relies solely on its own mechanism so mm-hmm. you know my frustrations aside i'm just going to focus on making sure that the mechanism works so that we we don't have to have a conversation about so and so coming to pull a really bad african accent i watched um i didn't watch it i i, I stopped watching it but uh coming to america too was was a traumatic <laughs> experience <laughs> for me and in, in in many ways because i do want to support like the african people who african um creatives who are part of it but my god you know in a year where beyonce taught you how to commit africa to film oh, jesus it's frustrating it's it's dehumanizing it's demoralizing in many ways but there's no but that's just where it is um mm. and i guess the people who understand how those models work and want to keep on using those models will keep on using those models but some of us on the side uh i'm going to hope at least me i'm going to hope that i get to work with partners who understand why it is important for people to actually see themselves on the screen truthfully because mm. i want to make stories about my people it's just, that's just it i just want to make stories that i recognize i struggle to watch um african content or like kenyan content that i can't resonate with or south african content that i know a lot of south africans can do not resonate with and you know we'll be yelling our heads off but I do the thing that like what Russell T Davis did and I'm a huge fan of him with it's a sin he made it you know he's been very vocal about the fact that he doesn't um he doesn't agree with casting um non queer people in queer roles uh we're not even going to detail for why he doesn't agree with it but I I I get it and then he did mm-hmm. it's a sin which is a, a very queer television show that you should all go watch I'm going to cry as well all the queer um characters are played by queer actors and and his statement was just look at the difference and as a queer person i saw the difference <laughs> so um it emboldened me to kind of stick to my guns about like my metric for what authenticity looks like you know everyone has theirs but i have mine got you yeah i mean it's it's definitely important you know when people go to the movies to feel like it's when it's supposed to feel real that it feels real. Yeah, like I said, it matters. Cuz how often do you actually get to see a story that reflects your life on the big screen? It's so rare. So to go and see it and then see it misrepresented in whatever way, whether it's in a performance that was good but an accent that just kept on throwing you off, eh, that's violence, man. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh what can we expect from you in the near future? Good question. There are a few things that I'm working on. I'm trying to think about the things that I can actually talk about and I, not many of them. But it's a good problem. <laughs> I've I've kind of I think to just put it put it broadly, I've kind of committed to only being involved in stories that I fully believe believe in. 
uh, at this at this like initial stage. Well, um, let me not say initial. My therapist keeps yelling at me because I, I I seem to forget that there is an expanse of work that I put in before now. But at this stage in my career, um, I'm looking to build stories that are extremely specific to like an, my experiences growing up in Nairobi, living in Cape Town, Johannesburg, and uh, now where I live in, in, you know, partly where I live in Amsterdam. So to be very broad about what I'm doing without fucking up any of my NDAs, <laughs> I'm working on stories that reflect uh, issues of identity because I am black and queer and African and so that's it and just very 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 specifically about Kenya in a way that will make a lot of people uncomfortable but mm. I'm okay with that because I think like we deserve to have like amazing production value for a story that's entirely in like Swahili or Sheng mm. and I'm not necessarily bothered about like whether it'll have international appeal because I think the more specific you make a story the more universal it becomes and that has been a shift for me. Uh, it, you know, it's difficult to fund projects like like these, but I'm committed to it. I think the long-term goal is I do want to create a space. I know a lot of people start with that. I don't want to create a space, but I do want to create a space where like anyone who is interested in making film gets to de- or making content about Africa gets to develop that. Because I feel like that's the gap that we're having, that we're missing when it comes to like, being able to tell our own stories. I want to be able to pay a writer to sit in their house for six months and just churn out this beautiful story that they have. But right now we're having to, you know, do do way too much, give way too much for far too little. Yeah. And I just want to correct that balance a bit. But for myself, it's just stories about about Nairobi, about queerness, about growing up knowing that I'm going to have battles with the classification board in in Kenya, but it's fine. (laughs) I'm ready. (laughs) You know, some of the best art is one that one that pushes the boundaries and challenges the audiences. So um, I think you're on the right track. Yeah. You know, the, the, the goal isn't necessarily to the pushing of the boundaries will happen organically. I think the more, if you attach fidelity to truth and make that your anchor and make that your north and move in that direction, it is going to rub people off the wrong way and that's fine, but it's also going to, it's going to do the thing where someone will go into a theater to look at something and see themselves and understand themselves better. And that's enough for me. Actually, I I have um, another question because we've, we've kind of talked about, you know, Africans developing an infrastructure Mm -hmm. for, you know, film culture in Africa, but there's an alternative route, Mm -hmm. you know, for Mm -hmm. example, Africans don't necessarily have to do that. And I'm not saying they shouldn't, I'm just putting, you know, this is the question I'm going to propose. I'm going to ask you, it doesn't seem like you're on this path, but, but maybe you are, but I'm wondering what about the path of Hollywood? Do you have an interest or are there, do you have colleagues that have an interest of <sighs> going the Hollywood route and then kind of bringing it back home sort of thing? You know, like they, like a lot of British films, a lot of British filmmakers, you know, they, they make huge Oscar worthy films um, and they still base. Yeah. Yeah. And then going back to look, some people have done a really good job at that. I know Anuri, for instance, is doing brilliant things um, in, in the States, in Hollywood, and, and, and she's one of those people who kind of always, you know, she's homegrown in many ways, and, like, her base has always been Africa in a really interesting and beautiful way, but she's expanding into, like, the rest of the world, and I think that that would probably be my trajectory. I'm more interested in making sure that Africa feels my attention and gets my talent i mean there's there's no use in in being in training for so long and doing all these things and not being able to actually facilitate the growth of the industry that that i recognize but you know some people want to go to hollywood and that's fine but 
I have a sneaky suspicion that there are battles there that have to be fought as well, and that's great, but I, I only have the capacity to fight certain battles, and I can't be fighting a battle on both this front, on the continent, mm. and also in America. I think, I think uh, you know, because, because of the resources and because of the history um, that film has in, in, in America, they have definitely... Uh, dominated it because there's infrastructure, there's an audio, there's a system that functions, um, and that's great. But mm -hmm. I we need to develop a system here. It sounds it sounds it sounds insane when I say it, but and I because I don't know how to do it just yet, but I know it has to be here, and I have to start here. And I'm happy for Hollywood to come look for me as opposed to the other way around. Gotcha. No, I think that's that's a you know a valid approach, and there isn't a right or wrong way. It's I guess you know it's about the path that you want that you choose. Yeah, everyone needs to be able to do the thing that will get them, you know, the thing that they're comfortable with, the thing that's that harms people the least, the thing that will get them to where their desired goal is at the moment. My desired goal is to be able to turn on the TV and see a ton of Kenyan. Uh, television shows and films done really well, really intentionally, really beautifully. And I think that that's possible. I I've been blessed in my life to be in spaces where I have the capacity to focus exclusively on African stories. And I, and I want to see how far I can push that and how wide I can leave this door open, how, how, how far down I can pull the ladder. And that's not the goal necessarily, but that's part of the, mm. the that's the job that's the job as it is right now we have to move that needle we just have to for our industry to be sustained for my film to be watched 20 years from now mm -hmm. we have to create that space because it's not there and if it's not there someone has to do it so i'm happy to be a part of that journey dope dope well silas uh is there anything else that you want to add before we let you go Watch more African films, fund more African films. Um, one more thing, I'd like Africa to get the say, the space and room to figure itself out because we're, we're navigating a lot <laughs> all the time. Um, and so everything, everything isn't exactly like a lot of people would want it to be, but we get to take the space to figure that out. We get to make the mistakes. You get to make the ridiculous and weird projects and and that's a necessary step for growth. So if everyone could just get off our dicks for a bit, that'd be great. Uh, but that's it. <laughs> we're, we're doing the best we can <laughs> with a lot. <laughs> this is a family show, Silas. Oh. This is a family podcast. You can't say that. This is a family podcast. That <laughs> no, <I'm bit>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my mother will listen to it later. <laughs> well, thank you, Silas. This was an amazing conversation. Um, I feel like there could be several episodes just about the potential that Africa has um, for yeah. some sort of filmmaking infrastructure and how to navigate and build that build that out. Yeah. Um, where can people watch Supermoto and where can people find you on the Internet? You can, I think, I think Supermodo is on, I would be lying to you if I told you where I knew it was, it, somewhere in the, that's how <laughs> far removed I am from that film right now. You can find, you can find some of my films on Netflix, you can find um, Super. I'll, I'm not sure you can find Supermodo there, I'm sure the copy is available for sale. No, I'm lying, it, it should be on Amazon, if I'm not wrong. If you want to find me, I am at Silas Miami on all social platforms, except Facebook. Uh, I left that puppy, but um, yeah, come talk to me if you want to make if you want to make some cool films. But no, please don't come to me if you want to be a white savior. Calm down. <laughs> I don't. I mean, most. I don't want that. I don't want any of. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not negotiating with white people who don't understand the space that they're entering when they come to Africa and they want to come and save us. We don't need saving. If you want to help, do it from a place of authenticity or sit down. Got you. Got you. I don't know how many white people are listening to this. But they always find a way. Put that in the universe. Yeah. Put it, it's all right to put it yeah. in the universe. Um, what are some of the films that you were part of on Netflix? I think there's only one at the moment, and it's Disconnect um, on Netflix. I I helped. I wrote that. 
I adapted that from my screen technology. Yeah, so you can you can check that out. You can check uh, Lucella out, which is another film that we put out. Uh, I'm not sure where that is either because that was also a charity gig. But <laughs> uh, if you find if you look for me, Silas Miami at all spaces, we can we can talk. Dope, dope. Thank you so much, Silas. Yeah, you're most welcome, Angie. Thanks for listening to the Black Film Space podcast. If you're interested in attending our events, becoming a member, or donating to our mission, please visit us at blackfilmspace.com. Also, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Black Film Space. Subscribe to our email list and podcast. All right, peace out, and see you soon.